What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hey, what's going on, brother? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. And I am so fortunate to have in the virtual studio, Garrett Gunderson, uh, chiming in from, I guess you're in Salt Lake as of this moment. Is that right? Yeah, man. In Salt Lake, my house right now. So I end up here because my dad is a coal miner. My father's a coal miner. And two hours southeast of here is like a bunch of coal mines. Yeah. And then uh, I grew up Catholic. And met this Catholic girl, which in Utah, you know, is rare. And yeah. we love and got married. Her whole family lives here. And we love the mountains. I'm more of a mountain and stream and, you know, person than yeah. I am more of a beach person. Like, I like to go to the beach for a couple of days. Like, I was yeah. just being, uh, on the coast and, like, the waves were so damn loud. I couldn't sleep. So <laughs> I could go to my cabin and listen to the river in the background and the, the, yeah. you know, the tree leaves and the wind and all that kind of stuff. And totally. just, like, dude... I love having a chainsaw. It's just fun to just chop wood with an axe. My boys, I took them to this like survival camp and they just love chopping wood. Like, yeah. The only thing to do. I like to just take the chainsaw, crush <laughs> some things, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. Asked, but I'm just offering, like you said, you live in Salt Lake. I'm like, here's a bunch of useless information for all the viewers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I, we're, uh, we're neighboring States. Uh, I'm currently in Austin. You said, uh, you're coming down here for a couple of speaking events and I'm heading back up to, to Colorado, but we have that in common. Love the mountains. I feel like it's, uh, it's the, the masculine energy that has always attracted me to, to the mountains. And then I love, I think of more of the ocean as the feminine, but, uh, and, Love certainly going to the beach, but yeah, there's something about being up in the mountains, hiking, camping. God, I love it. I like, I just I like the it. bow hunt. Like I've really. Yeah. Cool. Uh, bow hunt elk. And so that's a lot of fun. Take my dad who's 70 with me. And Good he's a badass to be 70, just hiking around the mountain. He, 100%. He shot an elk with a bow last year. I was standing right next to him. It was super Damn. Cool. That's know, really cool. There was elk that he'd shot and killed. And like, yeah, that was, it was really awesome. I like like bow hunting is like hiking with a purpose, you know what mm, I'm saying? And mm, I, totally. I can be really present for long periods of time when I do it. And then I just like when I'm writing to be mm-hmm. out in my cabin and go shoot my bow a few times, just, you know, some targets and then go back up and write. So just kind of a nice little meditative practice. Dude, living the dream. I don't think there's many other, um, I mean, that's pretty primal to just be kind of stalking big game through the, through the woods with a bow and arrow. Well, dude, so my buddy, Ben calls me. He's like, "Hey, you want to go hunting? This is in 2020." I'm like, "Yeah." You know, we we had done. A, you know, he's he'd been a client for years. I've been on his podcast, and he, you know, we've we've hung out quite a bit. And so I I go buy a gun, and I sent a picture of the gun. He goes, "Dude, we're bow hunting." It was 33 days away. I'd never bow. <laughs> so I was like Shit. shooting 15 shots three times a day, preparing, and we go to New Mexico. And dude, I remember like it was a hundred some degrees the first two days. Nothing's moving. Then it finally just gets down to like in the eighties mm-hmm. thousand yards away, this, this guide spots an elk 
calls it, it starts coming, dude. I'm like kneeling next to this tree. And when it's 300 yards away, I can hear it like, you know, mm -hmm. stopping basically as it's running. My heart's pounding. And then I hear another elk that's like, oh, you're not coming on my territory. Oh, no. I end up killing that elk. And when I hit it, so much adrenaline, like it was like DNA unlocked in my body. It was mm. 15 minutes of like elation and insane. I couldn't believe it. Like I was like, That's dude, awesome. this is so different than a gun. Like it was, and I mean, I'm 25 yards away, right? Yeah, yeah. Calm my heart rate down and, and like stay steady. And I was a beginner. So that was a pretty amazing. That's thing. crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First That's time out. Yeah. Oh wow. my gosh. Dude, those are epic memories that you'll never forget with you, obviously for you and with your dad and everything else. That's Those are pretty phenomenal. So yeah. cool. So cool. Well, <clears throat> for those listening, they're like, okay, who's this guy? Who are we, why are we listening to this, uh, these crazy adventures, which is probably just the tip of the iceberg of, of who you are. But if you don't mind, uh, since I'm so excited to have you on, fill, fill the listener in on, I mean, your bio, I could read for the next 10 minutes. It's pretty prolific, but uh, tell them a little bit about your books. Tell them about all the things. I know some people are just listening on audio, but for those yeah. who are seeing this on video, I just got this on my hands yesterday at the time that we're recording this. This is my children's book that comes out in January. It's called That's I so Cool Man Growing Trees. It's a it's beautiful, man. It's like a piece of art. I'm dedicated to planting a seed of hope, connection, and expression in the hearts of a billion people before I die, using entertainment as a gateway to transformation and help mm. people restore love to their life and heal their relationship with money. So I've written nine other books. My other book, Jeez. Money just came out, doing pretty well out the gate. So beautiful. That like beautiful. we're just uh we're almost two months in. It'll be two months in December by probably the time this is live. And Congrats! Yeah, we sold like eighty two hundred copies so far, so that's kind of exciting. Really uh, exciting. But yeah, I, I love to write, dude. I felt I fell in love with it. I was scared to write when I started. I wrote Killing Sacred Cows, but I was in my you know early twenties when I wrote it. Hmm. I can't believe I knew what I knew. I just had an insatiable curiosity, asked a lot of questions. But you know, here I am still writing more and enjoying that process because I think that money is an intimidating topic for a lot of people and a boring topic for a lot of people, but critically mm -hmm. important. So mm -hmm. I'm dedicating myself to the craft of like, how do I make it more accessible, more enjoyable and more memorable so that people can really take actionable steps to improve their life. So I built and sold an Inc. 500 financial firm, just sold it in 2021, filmed the comedy special because why not do comedy? Why not? The money, you know? <laughs> yeah. got like, I went to Italy years ago and I became like a renaissance man afterwards. I came back, mm -hmm. got my whiskey psalm. I, uh, you know, learned how to make a damn good latte and, and pour That's over awesome. coffee and started to fly fish a little bit because I just feel like wealth is a byproduct of a life well lived. So how mm -hmm. can I live life really well? How can mm -hmm. I enjoy it along the way and kind of master the art of living and blend and blur those lines between work and play, which isn't always easy, man. I, I mean, like I'm big going through a couple months where I'm just trying to figure that out a little bit more mm -hmm. because I, I have had a lot of opportunity and I've had certain separation from old businesses. So it's a, it's a journey and I don't have it all figured out, but I like to talk about it along the way. I love it. I think you're doing it right. Um, just with the curiosity, I feel like that brings, or it should bring along some, uh, some humility, you know, and I feel like the older we get, and I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me that the older I get, uh, the more I learn, the more I realize I, I don't know. Right, as the saying goes. Um, but I would I would ask you for someone who is intimidated by money, um, maybe they have a lot of money blocks or money uh trauma, if you will, from their past, of any of your books, where would they where would you suggest that they start and why? 
Money Unmasked, I know it's my most recent book, but it's the book that delves into that by far more than the other ones. The second one though, would be Disrupting Sacred Cows because I really go into like childhood and what happens in our childhood and how that shapes our, our kind of our money memory. And then mm-hmm. I just, I have three pages of resources at the end that are like, hey, these are the things I'm not an expert in, but help us deal with those childhood things. And so mm-hmm. I've just, people have had really good progress on that, but Money Unmasked gets into your money persona you know, there's four different personas. There's a shadow side and a winning side. It can really show us our footprints of what leads to failure or what leads to more abundance and prosperity. And so that it can be a lot more predictable and then we can avoid some of the missteps and mistakes and also understand the dynamic of other money personas that we're in relationship with, whether that's a spouse or a business partner or whoever it is that really informs us how they go about making their choices. Mm, mm, I love that. Well, what are, if any, are the, the challenges that you kind of grew up that you've grown through healed from if any yeah and i'm I still am cultivating some like i just realized recently like one of my early memories of money was when it was really tough because my dad worked for coal mines and when the unions would go on strike all of a sudden they're like doing everything they can to make ends meet and i thought man if i make enough money my family won't have to suffer so i started to take on this notion of you know if i could be successful enough i could be so important that like my great grandfather was separated from my great grandmother for seven years because they didn't have money and he came to the United States to make money and bring her over or, you know, imagine. Yeah, dude, seven years, like seven years gone for five weeks last year. She went to India to do this, like this health stuff. And dude, that was a tough five weeks, man. For me, I was like, I missed her bad. Like I'm, you know, we have two kids. It was like great bonding for me and them. But like, I just realized how much I've invested <laughs> in that marriage and relationship. <laughs> instrumental she is in my life. But dude, yeah. seven years. And he lived seven in years. Tent. Like he lived in a tent. They didn't have phones. It's not like he could call her. It's like Italy. I mean, the phone that in a tent, there isn't a phone in a tent. There's landlines. What were they paying back then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk. He's sending letters, right? And then waiting for a response. Like, dude, that is rough. And English isn't even a language he really speaks when he comes over. So he has to learn that on top of living in a tent and being a goat herd before he becomes a coal miner. That actually leaves scars on someone's money blueprint that can hand down from generation to generation. You almost yeah. inherit those belief systems, you know? And, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and when you, again, when you kind of put things into perspective and you hear a story like that, I, I know for myself and I wonder for the listeners slash viewers, if it's like, man, why do we, why do we end up feeling in a world of such abundance that we're living with such scarcity, or it's just not enough compared to, you know, whoever else on, on Instagram or social media compared to what previous generations, our lineage, each of us wouldn't be here, obviously without uh, our ancestors, what they had to go through for us to live this life. And we're still not oftentimes grateful for it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And part of it's because I really feel like there's a design in society to intentionally create this gap where we're earning, we're yearning to earn more and we get in that hustle and grind. <laughs> And they yeah. think if we just have more, we'll be happier. And they get us convinced that it's the awards, the accolades and the future and the goals and the revenue. And, and we just sacrifice our whole life for that. And then we get there and it feels hollow because if you get there alone, you lost. If you, if you lose your health and get there, you lost. If you destroy all your meaningful relationships or you have to repair them, that's something that could take 10 times longer than it ever took to make the money in the first place. Yet it's just so much of you know, fake book and all this kind of stuff where people are just putting this this lifestyle up there. It's not real. By the way, I just think that it's human nature to compare our worst to someone's best. And yeah. by the way, they're, they're false best. They're presented right. best, you know? Right. And I, 
part of what attracts me to people is when they're more vulnerable, when they're willing to share their scars, when they're willing to talk about their lessons, when they're not acting like they just had it all figured out all the time, forever. And, and at the same time, celebrate the victories and celebrate their wins and, and understand that they do achieve great things. And that's a great thing to cheer on because it shows possibility. Mm -hmm. But we're humans and we get jealous, man. It's just part of the, the nature of human beings. Yeah. And I think that still goes back to what I was attracted to your content. I feel like you do such a good job of, like you said, incorporating kind of a theatrical storytelling, a very entertaining type of, of way of delivering your content, uh, but also mixing just a ton of kind of like psychological foundation of understanding like why we do things and why we have blocks and how to kind of work our way through some of these things that can be debilitating and, and like like we all well i can't assume but i think a lot of people know that a lot of relationships end because of financial you know bickering and and dissension right so this is the number one reason for divorce yeah i think what happens is when we have money troubles we stop dreaming about a better future and we think our past was better mm. those that turmoil kind of stifles all vision and if all of a sudden everything's about, we've lost energy, we're frustrated, we're feeling scarce. A lot of people have a hard time accepting responsibility and taking a better step. So they start blaming their spouse. Mm -hmm. They start projecting upon them. Like I know in 2008, when the market went down, I had a lot of real estate, like that really triggered me being like, man, am I valuable of being loved? Like, cause I, I saw so much of my identity and I had growth for 10 consecutive years, Inc 500, New York times, financial author. And it's like, oh damn, I'm more fragile than I thought I'm exposed cause I'm over leveraged. And it really was psychologically tough for me to be like, all right, well, who am I now that I'm not in growth mode for 10 straight years? Yeah. You know, I, I was really naive. Like I remember I got interviewed for this magazine and they put me on the cover. I was on the salt flats with my Bentley trying to look all cool. And, and uh, they were like, well, what do you want? You know, what's next for you? I'm like, oh, I've made so much money. I could never spend it. It's just, what can I do to pay it forward? And then for the next two years, I just watched all that money just go down the drain mm -hmm. to banks and institutions, to equity just being demolished. Yeah, because, because I didn't know my investor DNA. I was trying to just hit goals without knowing like, who am I? What do I really want? What's my winning game? What mm -hmm. am I going to do? What am I not going to do? Everything mm -hmm. is just kind of about more. And more is a seductive temptress that can move us away from who we are in pursuit of something that we can never achieve. And in that pursuit, we lose because it's never enough. And, and dude, that's a tough, insatiable appetite to come to terms with. Like, I, I want to have these things that don't even seem like they could be possible together, like growth and contentment. What about having both? What about being content with who I am, but I'll still still growing over time, learning my lessons, impacting mm -hmm. more people, but at the same time, taking some time off, enjoying life mm -hmm. along the way. You know, it, it, it's not an either or, but a lot of times it's designed to make us think that it is. Right. Well, let's delve into that investor DNA a little bit, because, you know, again, watching some of your content that you're talking about, like if your thing is real estate, go for that. If you're, you know, into stocks and or day trading, like do your thing, like find your thing and, and stay in your lane. Right. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people find someone and correct me if I'm wrong. And I, I'm certainly guilty of that, too, until I read the millionaire blueprint. It's like I found someone that I want to emulate, but they're not like me. And then I have such a hard time trying to be right. them. Right. And it's just not me. Right. It, because the like it's not congruent. So you're you're battling uphill versus finding that effortless flow. Right. Mm -hmm. 
which is what your investor DNA is. And mm -hmm. so the first thing with investor DNA is I think that we have to give up this notion of being completely passive investors, where we're portfolio investors that just hand our money over and hope for the best because they're smarter than us. Right. But instead, look at like, what if we pick one of the big three? Intellectual property. That's my main investment. I like to write books. I like to create courses. I like to, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. keynotes. I like intellectual property is the game that I love. Real estate, but real estate that you could touch, like not just some REIT that you just mm -hmm. you know, have mm -hmm. no Invested idea what's going on with it, right? Mm -hmm. Or businesses, like maybe you pick one of those lanes, maybe you eventually do all three, but those are the big three to really advance. You just have to figure out what your investor DNA, DNA is. Mm -hmm. See, I don't mm -hmm. love the real estate that I used to do, or I was just buying apartment complexes or, you know, duplexes, fourplexes that I never really went to. I was just giving my money. I was talking to bankers. I was talking to property managers. Now I'm like, I have property I could drive to that I could rent out to my businesses. And I don't have to go outside of those businesses because podcast studios there. So I do my one-on-one -on -one cash cabin immersions, or I build a music studio. And I know these are places where there's nothing for sale. I understand that it's a very valuable area that I personally know, but the hard thing for me was to try not to own everything because my, the old me was like, I just should do more. I should own more properties. Right, I own right. nine. That's not enough. Someone else owns <laughs> 10 or 200. And so I didn't really have a plan other than more. And so now it's like, I, part of my, my framework is, does it improve my quality of life? And when I have an investment, I go, how much of that can enhance my quality of life today? How much of that can enhance my skill sets because I invest back into me and how much of it can enhance my cash flow? And I start breaking it into those three categories mm. of three intellectual property, real estate and businesses, and then investing in myself, investing, which is skill sets, investing in my quality of life, which is my overall energy and enjoyment, and then investing in my cash flow. And so it's a different type of portfolio. Mm. And in that portfolio, I don't accumulate. Accumulation says wait for 30 years and then you can live off your interest. I want to accelerate, which says focus on cash flow and, and velocity, which is how do I get my money to turn more than once and how do I get that to create economic independence? I don't mm -hmm. go into retirement because I want to build a life I don't ever want to retire from. So economic independence replaces retirement because now when I have my assets mm -hmm. up enough cash flow, I can swing for the fences and everything I do knowing yeah. that my foundation is handled. And at the center of this is investor DNA, not diversification. Most mm -hmm. people have sold diversification, which is a great strategy if you're already wealthy. It's how you might preserve your wealth. But on the ride to wealth, diversification ah. is diversification because you spread yourself thin, you slow it down, and you're not yeah. related to the outcome of that investment. I think about that in terms of, because uh, I relate a lot of it back to, I've just always been an athlete and kind of a, a gym guy. But like, if I were, you know, five days out of the week doing lifting and then I go to hit training and then I do, uh, you know, Pilates and yoga, but I don't actually ever really dive into one that never really gained strength that never actually improved. Like to your point, you're right. Like diversification. I've never actually heard of that, but it makes total sense. It's diversification like, for most people. Diversification, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good it, point. It's admission of ignorance. I don't know. It's going to work. I'll spread myself thin. But by the way, we only diversify prematurely when we rely on other people to make our investments for us and not ourselves. Yep. And part of it, we've just been lied to and we bought into the lie. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough time. I've just got to trust the experts, but most of those mm -hmm. experts, our salespeople handing it off to someone they've never met. So mm -hmm. we're further removed from the outcome. And this is where a lot of risk comes from. Um, you know, I, I'm like, invest first in yourself so you can make more money. That's the first process. 
The second is before you try to scrimp, save or sacrifice or even budget, let's plug your financial leaks. Let's save money on taxes, on interest, on non-performing investment fees or on insurance costs that could be removed. Let's remove those. So yep. let's go for efficiency. So make more, then keep more, then learn how to grow your money. Growing your money is a little bit more involved than people really want to believe. And it's a little bit more complicated if you get involved in too many things because you can never be an expert at that number of things and still have a quality of life. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm saying you pick a lane and focus. And then you make sure to do risk management and risk mitigation so that you're not overextended. Like building your foundation makes a difference. Creating sustainable structures like asset protection and liability and, uh, you know, and, and transferring risk is important. And then you just really pay attention to the eggs in your basket versus having too many eggs that you don't even know what they are. And yeah. it's, it's different than what most people are taught in the common world of investing, but it's not different than what the wealthiest people do. It's actually what they do. They mm -hmm. only start diversifying when they've really hit home runs and have good cash flow streams and they can have it managed because they have the right CEO, CFO or something like that before they go to the next realm of, of, of deals. Right. So mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love asking uh, guys that I work with, you know, if you were to to be uh, given a million dollars for one reason or another what would you do with that million dollars to kind of see where their mindset's at? Are you going to buy a house? Are you going to, you going to invest it? What are you going to do? You're going to sit on it. Um, and I'm by no stretch of the imagination, any type of, you know, financial guru, but I, I will say that, you know, yeah, I have intellectual capital. I have some real estate, but I've started to be like, ah, you know, and seeing kind of my dad's own entrepreneurial journey, um, and watching, I just always fell in love with the profit and shark tank and all those other shows. I'm like, man, businesses, uh, for the same amount of money that I could buy a house with, I can buy a business, you know? And then really it, to me, it's just kind of clicked over the last, let's say five to 10 years, how important cash flow is. But you also said two other things, lifestyle and like skill set investment, right? Yeah. Which I don't always think about, although that's so true. I got if I'm not stimulated, if I'm not growing, I'm not happy personally. Right, but and I'm talking about skill sets like communication, marketing, sales, mm. attention, yeah. fulfillment. Like those are the skills that a lot of people neglect. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of like refining myself in that area because I got really good having this marketing team at my last firm that they knew how to run ads and they knew mm -hmm. how to build. Like I became less and less involved, which means. I'm not as sharp. I haven't been to the gym of marketing as much lately. Yeah, right. Sales. I haven't done sales. I had a sales team. So I'm, I'm reinvesting in those as I'm building cool. the next round because it's important, you know, and, and retention. It's always about like, how do I continue to add value? Like those those skills make such a big difference. You know, a, a lot of people focus on improving a skill that doesn't move the needle. It's mm -hmm. just it's something that they enjoy. And that's fine. Like, go ahead. But be careful that to differentiate skill and hobby. I very much encourage hobbies, but investing in that hobby might not move the needle to adding value and improving your financial life. It might just be something that you enjoy, which I would say go all in on, but just differentiate that that's a quality of life thing, not a skill set thing. Right? Yeah, right. Which makes me think though, and I'm certainly guilty of this, but I do feel like similar along the, the topic of diversification. I feel like sometimes people are focused on so many different things, which is playing not to lose ultimately and spreading themselves out because even deeper, I imagine they're, they're scared to go for it right. because if they were to go for it and actually fail, go all in, stay in the lane and go for it and fail, then it would boil down to them not being lovable or not being enough or something like that. Right. There's always some sort of 
deeper fear. That's, I that's imagine. the question most of us have always asked, and we wouldn't say out loud is that "Am I lovable?" thing. That's that's mm -hmm. it's in the back of our minds, right? Mm -hmm. We make a mistake. We don't know if we have enough. We know someone that's doing more. We compare. Like I think it's just not spoken very often, but it's kind of this context or subcontext that's usually in the back of people's minds, and. The more we can start to love and accept ourselves, I think the more we can become creative, the more we can become happy, the more we capacity we have to love others, the more we have capacity to have energy and connect with others. It's just, I don't really know a really good map when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I went to Catholic school and it was like, hey, um, you know, feel guilty, feel shame. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you do this, you're bad. If you say, I remember a nun tell me if I said fuck that like, you know, it was, it was putting me closer to hell. And then I just one day decided to say it as many times as I could to rebel. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is, like, yeah. it's just, but like there was all those constraints that were given about like trying to operate within someone else's purview versus our own perspective. Yeah. Within, yeah, rules, within boundaries. And it usually keeps us stifled, stifled and playing small. Unexpressed, stifled, playing small. Yep. Yeah. Stifled, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you said you work, do you work with guys one-on-one? -on -one? Do you work with uh, yeah. men and women group? What does that look like? If people were, you know, attracted to what you're talking about, what does that even look like? And how do you start, you know, what type of person would find themselves uh, wanting to work with you? Someone who's just wanting to grow their wealth? Is it it's one of money two issues? Is it, yeah. yeah, one of two people. And, and typically I work with like a couple, right? Like that meaning a husband and a wife or wife and whatever it is, right? And and in those situations, I want to at least be able to save them seven figures. So because mm -hmm. I'm only doing like 24 of these a year. Mm -hmm. And we go up to my cabin. It's called Cash Cabin. Cool. We use this four-part framework of, you know, where can we save them with the IRS, with interest, with non-performing investment fees, or restructuring insurances. So we're finding money first. Then it's about those three categories that I shared with, right? Mm -hmm. Quality of life, skill set, and then cash flow. Mm -hmm. And then what we're looking at is if we dive deep, what is it that's underneath that they've never shared that if I can ask them the right question, they can get to the answer they've never had. And that's really everything from their money blueprints, their money personas, their money stories and getting on the same page there because then it can accelerate results. Then we look for like their flow and then we look for like their five objectives. And what's really critical is for 25 years, I've been in the world of building relationships so I can bring four, five, six, seven relationships that help them get everything done that we talked about that day. Mm -hmm, so that one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one cash cabin is entrepreneurs that are, that are doing, you know, um, over a million dollars. Uh, you know, that's, that's the key or financial advisors are the other ones, financial advisors. And sometimes I'll meet with them and their business partner. I try to keep it to no more than two. And I've been in the financial services field. So it's one of those two, it's a $25,000 investment. Cool. Start with a, with a, cash recovery and financial expansion session where they give me some documents and we go through and I comb through everything and make sure that I can justify us spending the day together. And if I can't, mm -hmm. I make the connections off that call and, mm -hmm. and come up. And if I can, then we just credit that call over to the, over to the cash cabin. And I'm, I'm looking to make that an unscripted reality series down the road too, because yeah, so cool. Yeah. Just cause might as well have that higher leverage. I was like, I don't know if people would really open up and share, but we have some clients in Denver and they, they have a place in Silverthorne, I think it's called. Uh, yeah. and, and we went there and filmed 12 people that had done this and they still got emotional and they still shared all their personal stuff on camera. So we're, we just finished kind of the pilot, you know, so cool. and I think that's going to be kind of fun to do.
Oh, that'd be so cool. That'd be so cool. And I imagine, I mean, there's so much value there, I'm sure, for those that attend. Um, and if guys are listening, that this is sounding intriguing. But I also feel like some of those questions that you help them start to ask that they've never thought about asking are the ones that literally are beyond the priceless, you know? And I think that's all the, where the, all the value is. Because there's a lot of what people will share. Like they, it's their story that they share. It's their story. Mm-hmm. Right? And a lot of it is part of the story. So I'm trying to create this really safe space. And I open up with vulnerability first. And if we can get to that trust, then we get to this place I call intimacy where they're sharing things they've never shared before. So it's stuff that they wouldn't share, but now that they will, we can really start to heal it. We can really start to resolve it. And then finally, what's the stuff they couldn't share because it was a blind spot. And when we can really get there, then they feel so much more powerful because they leave with clarity, confidence, and peace of mind. And they know precisely what their life's about and they've created their winning game. So it's fun for me because it's a little bit different every time. Yeah. I'm sure my favorite place in the world, I put my lodge. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you asked. Nice. I, don't, I, I don't talk about it all that often. So it's kind of cool to be able to talk. About oh, it's, it's intriguing. Yeah, for sure. I feel like it's something that uh, intrigues me personally and as well as I feel like guys that are listening to this. So it's huge. Um, I was going to ask you, oh, what do you feel like... Um, if it's not too long of a story, is there anything that you do, one of those vulnerable pieces that you do start off with sharing first that's, that would be worth, I'd love to hear. Yeah. So like when we, what will happen is most of the time I pick something up from the airport and they don't expect it because it's not yeah. something we say. And the whole time I'm just driving with them and they don't feel like the thing has started. They just feel like we're hanging out. But then they leave all these clues about what's really important in their life <clears throat> and the stories that they tell. Mm. So someone might be like, yeah, I'm going through this thing. I'm worried. I'm going to, I'm worried that like, that I end up in a lawsuit over it. And I'm like, oh, I got sued once mm. and uh, went to court. Surprising. Didn't think it would go that far. I introduced this person to a, uh, I, I, I was a part owner in this building. My partner wanted to raise funds and was going to give up shares in the building um, to raise those funds. And I introduced this financial guy to him. He lost money in the building because my partner diverted the funds to a different project, which we wasn't supposed to do. Mm. And I was, I didn't get paid for that introduction, but I did make the introduction. I wasn't part of the meetings. And so when this person I introduced went after the guy, he declared bankruptcy. So his attorney said, well, let's go after Garrett. He's got more money and a big reputation. So I ended up going to court. And so I talked about what that process was like. I was found not Jeez. guilty, but I still spent three days, just the three days. Yeah. Was but stress. Years right? The stress. And so, and then I talked about what I learned on the other side of that. So all of a sudden we're opening up about this, right? And then they start to feel a little bit less pressure because they're like, oh, okay. So that's what it's really like versus what they imagined. Or, you know, I'll talk about in 2008, man, my marriage was not in a great place. I was over leveraged with real estate. That real estate was going down. I was just trying to keep things together, which meant I was emotionally unavailable. We had two young kids. My mm-hmm. oldest son was going through some auditory processing issues and we had to get him in social groups. My wife felt really alone. And it was like a very tough two years that we came out the other side in a beautiful way, mm-hmm. but it took work and it was emotional. So I might share something like that or, you know, the, the mistakes I made in the sell of my business. Like I'm really willing to open up about those things and, and dive deep into that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm a human too, not just an author. And it starts to have them start to open up and share things with me that they haven't shared before. And the thing is, they just know it's still trapped there. I'm not ever going to talk about what they're talking about. They might choose to put it on video and that's fine, but it's not going anywhere. I'm only going to share my side. 
once that happens, we really get to a place of like connection. And that's what happens when there's a breakthrough. If there's an intimacy and a breakthrough happens simply because people can process something, then there's just like this deep connection. And what I love about it is I pretty much friends with everyone that's ever done an immersion. Like we still text, we might hang out if I'm in their city, like, you know, if they're in town here, we're going to go do something. Like I did an immersion in September. I ended up, I, we got done. I'm like, you want to go to this party? We went to the party. He, I ended up bringing him to stay at my house. We'd never done that with an immersion. We worked out the next day. He ordered it's a cold afterwards. He ordered a sauna. He ordered a, a X3 or Harambe. So he had band. Like, I was just like, I'm just letting people in to the whole mm -hmm. version of who I am mm -hmm. because I like that connection. And so, yeah, I mean, who knows? Just I write half of my blogs from those immersions, like because I end up sharing a story about myself. I'm like, yeah, I've never put I've never put that out there publicly. Oh, that's cool. But I, I, you know, I like it. It's it's kind of how the content comes up. I love that. I feel like you know, uh, I mean, obviously Brene Brown and so many other people talk about vulnerability, kind of, but gets more vulnerability, you know. And I love that you start with it first and offering it. Um, but it, it goes around full circle to what you said kind of earlier in the conversation about how much uh, ego or insecurity is wrapped up in one's self-worth when they believe that their net worth is their self-worth and without their money, without their watches or cars or, you know, doodads that, um, then they're nothing <clears throat> when in reality, uh, what I love about that is that you're, you bring them back to like, no, nah, man, some of these things are going to come and go. Plus you're not you're not going to ever take it with you beyond this lifetime. So what is this really for? What are you really seeking underneath the level? Like money to an end, but you're wanting to experience something, feel something, right? And I love that. You get back to that core. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, going back to um, even more of some of your, your books, the most recent one uh, you said was edutainment, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, money unmasked. Using money on masses is the most I mean, recent. where I'm really using the inner edutainment is I am money because it's a kid's book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so gotcha. we got pictures and, 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 but I also wrote this book that isn't out yet, tentatively titled Life After Debt. I have a manuscript and that's completely using humor to teach this topic okay. of how to navigate the crazy world of consumer debt. And so, I want to, you know, I end up getting an illustrator and illustrating it and, and things like that. I haven't done that yet, but that is the plan. It's just one book at a time. I, I, I right now I'm creating them a little bit faster than I could promote them. And put it's them crazy. In the yeah, it's crazy. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm getting myself confused, but I think that's, it's pretty cool. And so the whole approach towards um, teaching kids is just to, to have them have a healthier money mindset, correct? This book, this book, I Am Money is like, earning saving spending and giving but it mm. says like hey look when it comes to the basics money can make you happier because when you don't have the basics and you're in survival it's detrimental to your happiness but after the basics it's all over the board money isn't necessarily capable of being responsible for your happiness it's a companion and a support mm. but it's never a solo artist so it's really saying you're your best asset why don't you invest in skill sets? You might learn to sing or you might learn to, you might set up a lemonade stand. It's got some of those basic things like that. But it says, when you get to a place of abundance, you could do the coolest thing. You could freely share, meaning mm. you're no longer just in your own isolated world. And so I think, and it's, and my co-author, she's sold so many books. She's written a hundred some children's books. And I mean, we're just getting some pretty amazing early reviews on this for sure. And so I'm totally excited about it because money is the character. My yeah. dad used to say that we had a money tree 
and then eventually said money doesn't grow on trees. And so it's called I am money and I don't grow on trees. So <laughs> I know people can pre-order it from Barnes and Noble right now if they really want to. Uh, I just, you know, the, the reviews of like my friends reading it to their kids and filming yeah. it special like this is a great conversation that when it's had early i think dude here's the deal parents are going to learn from reading this they're going to yeah. learn they don't have to admit they didn't know it because yeah. it's, it's so simple yet so profound and has 10 money tips at the back which i think are really cool too and that's really cool really cool when you when you were a little guy and then um obviously going up with your i mean your grandfather your father and we talked about earlier some of that generational trauma that's uh that's passed down if you will and i know a lot of guys is the topic of conversation amongst those that I work with. Um, were there any limiting beliefs that you were raised with, or did you feel like you actually were raised with a pretty good, healthy money mindset? I mean, my parents were really loving, um, but you know, they they were did everything they can to avoid poverty, but got stuck in scarcity because mm. you know it's like, hey, you never know when the mines could go on strike. And so I had, I was a miser growing up, like you know, didn't ever want to spend money, wanted to, you know coupon clip if that's what it took or you know mm -hmm. like it, just, it was all about not valuing my time enough and not valuing myself enough because it was all about saving scrimping sacrificing budgeting those kind of things so the good news is i wasn't ever reckless with money i never overspend or yeah. you know I, I sure i got like as i was investing later on in life i got a little over leveraged but it wasn't because i was living beyond my means it was because i was investing too quickly and taking too much risk which was a mm -hmm. different lesson i had to learn because mm -hmm. that was railing against this notion of like my family had cash and coffee cans that was buried in the cellar. So, you know, that's not necessarily a good money management methodology. So I started to explore and learn these other things without a lot of guidance. I had to kind of figure it out and make some mistakes along the way. And I had to heal from the notion of like scarcity. I had to like, I grew up and if you had a half drink, if you only drank half your drink and then left it, they'd be like, hey, who did this? Or hey, mm -hmm. it's like, my son teasing me. He's like, I could be having an existential crisis and you want to know who left the lights on downstairs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. I do have some of that, but that's only in the worst of times. Now I've healed from so much of that, that mm -hmm. I no longer look at that because it's so limited. No one shrinks their way to wealth. Value creation is the game and value creation is about serving others and solving problems. And it's an expansive game. So the more people we serve, the more value we create, the more money we're going to have. So sure, for someone who's lost, maybe saving some money by coupon clipping or buying on Black Friday makes a difference. But for someone who knows their value and is bringing that value to the world, their time is probably worth too much than spending 10 hours to save $100, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it, beco it becomes as you recognize and elevate your value, it's more about how many people you could serve and you know how deeply you can impact the people you serve, not about in an isolated vacuum, how much you could save. Right, right. Um Oh, I had an idea or a question and I, and I kind of slipped my mind. Um, I, I spaced on it, but I guess going back to what you're talking about, just in, in raising your, your kids and how you were, you were raised. I imagine um, just, just unlearning some of those things have been quite the journey for you. How did you end up working through that? Was it through coaches? Was it through plant medicine? Was it through just, offering like how do you go from a scarcity mindset to one of just contribution uh adding value like that's it sounds easy uh, in your head but operationally i feel like so many people can't get out of their own way they can't even think about posting stuff with them on video because they can't even see them they don't want to look at themselves it's like it's such a big thing for so many people how did you work through that personally i, I did a lot of things i did uh you know somatic method with mdma 
Mm. I did I did some uh, psilocybin, and I really feel like that was super helpful as well. But I I had joined you know strategic coach when I was young. I did landmark when I was really young. I, yeah. I just was aggressive at getting educated and being around really intelligent people. I remember you know talking to people that were further ahead than me, confronting me about my scarcity mindset and my viewpoints, and it really made a difference. Like this mm. one just was talking to me and she's like, I wonder what it's like to live in the financial prison you built for your wife. And I was like, damn, I'm an asshole, right? Like, I, <laughs> I didn't see it. It was a blind spot. I was just following my 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 family's way of handling things. And then all of a sudden, I, I overcame that. And even that first year I was married, I did so many stupid things to save money. Mm. And my wife loves to tell the stories to my kids because they think that shit's hysterical. They laugh about <laughs> it. But then, you know, one day my 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 youngest is like, why was dad like that? And my wife was like, I oh, was just doing the best he knew how to help our family. Yeah, you know, that's done. Keep our family safe. And you know, it's, mm -hmm. and that's the thing is, we, we learn our lessons, we, we get different perspectives, but I always like to look at very abundant people and ask them questions and be around them. When I want to improve my marriage, I said, who are the three couples that have the best marriage that are older than us? And we went and really invested time with them. You know, right now I'm investigating outside of the, the, the my hometown, or I live right now, who, who are the five relationships I want to invest the most time with next year? Because they mm. change my thinking, they expand my thinking, they challenge my thinking. And they're ahead of where I'm at financially, because I'm spending a lot of time with people that I'm the one that's been ahead financially, right? So like, I want to get to that outer edge where I'm challenged, where I'm expansive and where, where I'm, I'm looking at things in a different way. And that's what's been nice about traveling around speaking um, recently with my book, I've just been attending a lot of the places I'm speaking mm. and learning a lot. Like I just went to Taki Moore's event and I learned a ton in the two days I was there and I went to Denmark so cool. and I learned a ton at the two days I was there. And, you know, so it's like really cool to be around these people and be like, cool, I spoke, but now I'm listening to these other people who have expertise in other areas that I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I want to continue to be a lifelong learner. And I think sometimes when people at a level of success, they're so busy showing how great they are. Like when I'm insecure, I might try to overdo the talking in a, in a conversation. I might try to show everything I'm up to, which could seem like I'm not creating enough space for the other person, but that's when I'm insecure. And I feel like arrogance is when we want other people to love us more than we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it becomes kind of a repelling. And so I've just, I've just got to the point where I'm like, I don't have to let everybody know everything I know. It's okay for me to just learn from them and listen to them too. And that's mm -hmm. going to be access. Now I'm willing to give all that I can, but I'm also willing to write that on a blog or put that in a book or, you know, it doesn't have to be me impressing someone in the moment. It could just be me connecting with someone and learning from them as well. I think that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty, pretty powerful. And I think that comes with um, growth, healing, maturity, if you will. Cause I, I imagine, uh, well, I'll just ask you what, what used to motivate you to, to make money back in your teens, 20s, uh, maybe before 2008? In my teens, it was like, I just want to see dollars in a bank account. Like I just wanted to become a millionaire in my teen, in my teenage years, like a million dollars. It didn't matter if it was in savings. I just wanted to look at it in a bank. Right? <laughs> I didn't think about like, just then, see it. Yeah. And then in my 20s, it was like, oh, I got to be a multimillionaire and I got to have more employees than other people so I could brag about my employees. And I got to have bigger revenue so I could tell people how impressive my revenue is. I got to have this beautiful building that's that's winning architectural awards because I have to demonstrate. Not only can I tell them, I got to show them and I got to drive. Like a lot of it was materialistic in my 20s from the office that we did have that was beautiful to the Bentley that I did drive. But 
and it's fine if people want to drive nice cars. Just I like my truck better than any other vehicle. It's other people love those fast cars and great. Find out what your value-based spending is. Don't just buy it because it's impressive to someone else. Buy it because it's fulfilling to you. Yes, so same amount. Yeah, that was totally the motivation. I wanted you to think I was a badass, a hundred percent. Like I wanted did you that, to buy me. Did that switch during the kind of the bubble of two thousand eight? It complete the two thousand eight thing was the thing that switched for me. Oh. And, and because I was like, damn, I was out on a limb. I was, I was so much of my time was grinding and always working and always doing something and never present and i was gaining weight and i was like dude this isn't a good life so i was like what's it going to look like moving forward my 30s became this like intellectual property revolution In my 30s it was about you know i'm creating books i'm creating and i still was a little bit in the grind at times but like i did a really good job at like learning and teaching and capturing that which was a mm. lot more fun in my 40s i'm like really navigating like how do I, how do I just love life? And it's been a little bit messy because being a comedian, I don't just go small. I, I had eight Emmy winners on the crew for my comedy special. I dropped a ton awesome. of money filming that damn thing and, and getting it out there and didn't raise funds for it. And like, if you look at my books, like money on mass, like I invest a ton of money in the aesthetic of it and the, and the experience of it. So I've become more of an artist. And as Many artists, they, 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 they start to overdo the art and not the finance. And so it's, it's nice because I have a financial background. So I, I tend to balance that out a whole lot quicker. And, you know, I just, I just spent a ton of money in 2021 and 2022 as this, mm -hmm. new, you know, expansion as an artist. And now I'm going, how do I make sure that impacts the world and how to make sure I monetize that properly? And, you know, I, I've been able to reel it back in, but yeah, this, this foray on doing a theatrical keynote, on writing a kid's book, on, so cool. on, on doing the comedy special. Dude, that comedy special is probably the coolest five months of my life from the time I chose to do it, started yeah. writing it, rehearsing it on a daily basis and, and then filming it. Like it was, it's one of those things that my kids got to watch it. They got to see me, <laughs> they got to see me overcome my insecurities. We, yeah. we signed a contract last week with a distributor. So it's been one hell of a journey, man. Well, that was going to add, that's my next follow-up question. You started to talk about it's called uh, the American Ream, correct? Yes. Um, and twenty twenty-four, we should see it out somewhere. That's what I was going to ask where. you. Where? Okay, so it's not out yet. Yeah, it's a distributor <clears throat> called Multicom that they they work with all the different services to to get it placed, and you know, that, yeah, I'm excited about that. I love it. I love it. Um, I love it. Well, dude, thank you so much for joining me. I feel like I could keep going, but just for the sake of uh, respecting your time and um, those that are listening, I just appreciate you pouring into to the conversation and love how much you're just inspiring, just me personally, just with everything you got going on. Um, killing it, making sure that you're also being an amazing husband, amazing father, um, you know, just contributing and, and raising the frequency of of the world. Um, I love that, but thank you for for being on. Um, for guys who want to connect with you, obviously, the, uh, as as we often talked about, um, social media or picking up your your books, where can they find all the, the goods? Yeah, so uh, youtube.com forward slash Garrett Gunston TV. Subscribe there. I'm posting every day, basically. Beautiful. And I respond to comments if I can understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, on Instagram, it's Garrett B. Gunderson. I'm new to Instagram, so be patient. But I'm actually sitting in the sauna responding to people uh, <laughs> and, uh you know we'll see, we'll see how long i can keep up with that uh and then i have a blog at my website garrettgunderson.com forward slash musings 
and I mean, some these are long blogs. Some of them take 19 minutes to, to read because I harvest the whole lesson and I'm not using chat GPT. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, those are a few ways we can stay connected for sure. I love it. And, and what about the, the quiz on your website? Yeah. What is that really yeah, focused on? Forward slash quiz, garrettgunderson.com forward slash quiz, figure out your money persona. What's the shadow it. side? What's the winning side? Share it with your loved ones so you understand how they operate around money. And uh, it'll really transform life. I mean, it really helps to understand my kids' money persona, my wife's money persona. Like my kids and I will watch a, a TV series and my kids can point out what the money personas are of the different characters. Yeah, that's my cool. Nephew that was young understands money personas and can call it out. So it's something that even a kid can understand, but every adult yeah. can from. That's such a gift, man. That's so cool. Well, I appreciate you. Um... Thanks for having me on, man. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been really good. It's been really good. I'm definitely will put all the links uh, below the video, below the the podcast, all that good stuff for for those that are listening and watching. Uh, connect with Garrett. Obviously, do yourself a solid and, and follow him uh, on all the the different links that I'll put down here. Um, and thank you again, brother. Really appreciate you being on. Have a have a great you know uh, move move back to Denver. Good luck. Thank with you. And, uh, thank you. Take care. Really. Yeah. Enjoy. You too. Thank you guys for listening. Um, like I said, give Garrett a follow and thank you again for joining us on this episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. That's it for this one. And I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say, hey, it would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts, since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend, or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, Follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.